Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Pearson Scoop ESA FinTech podcast. My name is Sid, and I'm currently a second-year MBA student at ESA Business School. I'm excited to have Chris, who is currently a key account manager at Solaris Bank in Germany. Solaris Bank is Europe's leading banking as a service platform. As a technology company with a full German banking license, Solaris Bank enables other companies to offer their own financial services. Via APIs, Partner integrates Solaris Bank's modular banking services directly into their own product offering. The platform offers digital bank accounts and payment cards, identification and lending services, digital asset custody, as well as services provided by integrated third-party providers. In this episode with Chris, I discuss his pre-MBA journey, what exactly does Solaris Bank do in the core banking platform migration, Solaris Bank recents $224 million fundraise, a bit of a deep dive into banking as a service companies, and what really differentiates Solaris Bank, and finally, a little bit about his role as a key account manager. I really had fun in talking to Chris about all these topics and his journey so far. Hope you really enjoy the show. If you can start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional journey uh, prior to the MBA. Absolutely. Before the MBA, I was in consulting for five years, doing all sorts of projects as you typically do in consulting. I started with retail, consumer goods, industrial products, and then evolved slowly towards the tech and banking industries. My last project before coming to the MBA was the project for the implementation of PSD2 directive at Deutsche Postbank, which is the retail arm of the Deutsche Bank. Great, great. Coming into the MBA in itself, what was your perspective in terms of uh, what were you truly looking for in terms of your personal and professional journey um, as you joined ESA? If I were to point out one thing that I was really looking to was to uh, find an opportunity outside outside of consulting. This was the one thing I was sure of, uh, but the rest was uh, I was I, I was hoping that I would have two years to explore exactly that. I started with thinking about my hobbies, and since I am a piano player, I had an idea of perhaps working for a piano manufacturer. I quickly dropped the idea, though, as I realized that the manufacturers are either located in the US or in Japan or in China, so not really in Europe where I plan to stay, which is why I thought perhaps moving to tech would be a uh, the, the right direction. But since I wasn't really specialized in any of the industries, I, I didn't have a clear vision. I did my internship at Amazon, uh, however, not didn't enjoy it really. Uh, so I began my th- second year of the MBA exactly at the same point where, where I began my first year, literally with the blank page. Uh, luckily, the ESF FinTech Club organized a FinTech trip to Berlin in December. And then I realized, wow, this is really what interests me. Fintechs are all about money, about systems, about things that are a little bit more abstract than tangible. And I realized this is something that, that really fascinates me. And I knew that I would have to invest a lot of time to really understand it, because besides the financial part, banking products and regulation, 
there is a lot of tech aspects that I also need to understand. But I thought, like, if I if I get it, if I if I comprehend it, then then I think it would be super exciting. And it turned out to be to be true. Provides a perfect segue into your current journey, um, and I think it'd be fascinating to hear what you currently do at Solaris Bank, and if you uh, can provide information on what the company does um, and so on. Let me start with what the company does. Solaris Bank is the banking as a service provider. And I think the best way how to explain it is that we are a provider who is in the background, a white label provider that allows other companies to offer banking products to their end customers. We have the P2P2X business model. And it means that we, are, we have the banking license and we are covering all the banking processes and, and tech and reporting and compliance, all of it. And our customers only need to provide the front to the user to create the value proposition and to provide the mobile app or first line customer service. My role at Solaris Bank has been twofold. I started at Solaris as the project manager for the core banking system migration. So Solaris Bank operated on a third party provider and then we migrated to an in-house solution. This is something that we have successfully finished this summer. And my second role that I have right now is a key account manager role for one of our customers, one of our partners, Vivid Money, who is a neobank challenger to the likes of N26 or Rebel. You highlighted a very critical part, uh, which I think it was something that was all over the news in terms of Solaris Bank migrating over um, in terms of its core banking migration and so on. Uh, could you highlight what exactly was, you know, in terms of whether it's from a strategic perspective, whether it's from an operational perspective, and then what do you personally believe was the reason behind Solaris Bank doing that and sort of how, what are the benefits that have come about in making that migration? Right, there are, there are multiple reasons. And maybe before I jump into it, let me just say that for Solaris Bank, starting on a third-party provider was definitely the, the great move to, to launch uh, to launch our product because it gave us back then a faster time to market. But then as we matured, we realized that it might actually make sense to move into an in-house solution uh, for the four following reasons. First of all, it is cheaper because we basically only need to have a, a certain fixed costs while the third party provider always charge us per account or per transaction basis. So after some scale, it just becomes, becomes more expensive. Secondly, our platform is also faster. We can process much many more transactions per second. And also we can process the transactions in real time. So really when you make a transfer uh, to another account at Solaris Bank, it will really appear in one second. So, so it's, it gives also the, the user the great experience. Third benefit is that our platform is more reliable. If there is an incident happening, our teams can already start looking into it and solve it within minutes or hours, while we would always depend on the third party provider to, to react on it and then fix it. And fourthly, lastly, since we have full control over the platform, we can customize it exactly the way we can. While a third-party provider would always, like they would, they always accepted feedback from us, but of course they, they have their own strategy and other customers. 
actually makes a lot of sense because I think in thinking about Solaris Bank and the fundraising in itself that recently happened and that maybe that's uh, another sort of topic that we can talk about. It was a massive fundraise, uh, I think almost 1.5 billion euros, uh, almost a quintupling from the previous valuation and so on yes. um, in terms of how much Solaris Bank is growing. And then you take this core banking migration. How how has that manifested into in terms of the user experience and, and what you're hearing from your customers as well? Yeah, uh, let me start with the user experience or perhaps for with the feedback that we get from our partners who who are working on our platform. I can tell you that in the last 24 months, half of the negative comments that we have received in our NPS service were about our standard banking features. So transactions not being processed fast enough or being duplicated or some of them were lost. And now with this core banking system that we now have, 50% of the issues are already solved. So this is a massive step in, in bringing the better, uh, better, better experience for the end user, much less hassle and headache for our operational teams and the operational teams of our partners. So that's the user experience part. And secondly, if you're asking about dependencies between the core banking system and the funding round, I think maybe it is not very direct, uh, but there are definitely indirect implications. Firstly, we finalized the migration before the, before the financing round, and we, we did it literally on one weekend without any downtime, without any glitch, which is an extremely powerful message externally that the stuff that we are doing um, makes make sense and doesn't break and is reliable. And uh, what is more, this is this core banking system is rather an enabler. It is it is something that we just needed to have at this level of the company, and now we we can confidently say we did our homework. We know that our tech is scalable and ready for the future. We have capacity to process five x, ten x, or twenty x the amount of accounts and transactions that we have. So if Solaris Bank grows commercially then we are also prepared from the core banking system perspective. Going into the funding round in itself, uh, when you look at the industry in itself, could you potentially highlight for the listeners some of the use cases, um, some of the products that Solaris Bank, uh, you know, maybe if you can dive deep into what kind of products very specifically that Solaris Bank is offering to the customers and highlight what exactly, you know, why banking as a service industry is growing so fast um, right now. All right, let me focus on two basic use cases. First use case is the is Solaris Bank working for fintechs, and the second use case is Solaris Bank working for we call them contextual players or that we are contributing towards a trend of embedded finance. Uh, starting with the first group of fintechs, the very typical use case is a a fintech a company would like to launch a neo bank proposition a mobile app in which you have a great user experience and design and can transfer your funds and make payments, have a great card. And Solaris Bank is enabling this value proposition from the banking perspective. We are the holders of the banking license. We report to the regulator. We take this burden. We also make sure that the that we process account openings we perform KYC uh, on behalf of our partners. We screen the users, we screen the transactions, we, we report to the authorities. 
So really take everything that belongs to the core banking and so that the fintech who, who just launched the app can, can focus exactly only on that, providing great user experience and growing their business. I, I would say this is pretty straightforward as is it, it is a marriage between a uh, fintech, fintech, a company with a fintech mindset with us and other fintech. And then a second example is, is the one that is when Solaris Bank cooperates with companies that are not within the financial sector at all. And if, if I were to give you an, uh, an, an example, recently we have launched with Engel and Volkers, which is a real estate broker in Germany. Their core business is, is brokering, brokering real estate in the, basically for the highly affluent customers. And now they thought perhaps a, a good extension of their core business would be to offer banking products. So they, they, they developed a, a banking app or broadly an investment platform in, in which they also started to offer bank accounts and cards. And the use case behind them is that they don't want to have a million of users or 10 million of users as N26 does, uh, but rather than customers who invest in real estate with them also have a place where they can store their funds before making the investment or perhaps after they divested the money. So our so their financial product is only complementing their core value proposition. So to sum up, we either support companies who fully rely on us on their core offering, or companies who who take us to offer financial services as a one add-on to their core. I think that very much highlights. I think if if people were to think about it, is the marriage between the non-financial institutions and the financial institutions, and how they're able to embed all of these financial products and and even improve more on the customer experience from an end-to-end -end perspective. And I think that only and I think there was a fascinating report. I believe uh, I, I heard it through Matt Harris, who's at Bain Capital, on the revenue potential within um, embedded finance and past players, which was almost I think three and a half to five trillion. Uh, dollars all across the world. And I think this example very much highlights sort of it's just at the starting point in terms of what companies are thinking about in terms of providing these financial services to their customers. So no, thank you so much for that. Uh, maybe one last question around the funding round, uh, just given the size of this, uh, for you and, and the company and, and what you're hearing from the executive team in terms of the vision, has there been some sort of massive change or, or sort of a change of direction in terms of the future when you look at this funding round and what the company is now thinking about in terms of its growth opportunities? Uh, I, I wouldn't say that we would use the funding round to, to pivot, but rather to, to accelerate and strengthen the strategic direction that we already had. And the direction has been twofold. First of all, it will allow us to, to expand geographically Recently, we have launched in Spain, France, and Italy, and we want to we want to we want to grow locally in these countries. And this means opening branches. This means hiring people locally. This will mean also localizing our products. So that's the first area why why we needed why we needed to raise funding. And then secondly, we continue to work on our product. We are investing in uh, basically. A, across all product ranges, perhaps with the most, uh, with the innovation that is at the earliest stage, but definitely has a massive growth potential, is the uh, security brokerage as a service. So not, so in addition to us brokering accounts, cards, 
in in a couple of months from now we are so we also aim to to be able to provide some uh, some trading capabilities to our partners. I, I would say it will probably be decided which parts of the value chain we will we will enable and where we will rely on third-party providers. Nonetheless, what we will what we will offer to our partners in some time is that their users will be able to to buy stock or buy crypto or, or ETF or different types of assets from within their banking apps. You and I know there's a lot of competition as well. Uh, you know, especially right. if we let's focus on on Europe in itself, and we have Rails Bank, Rapid, um, and other firms that are sort of very deeply entrenched as well. Especially from you know UK, and then they're migrating over into Europe mainland. Uh, your, from your perspective, uh, what is it that truly differentiates Solaris Bank, whether it's in terms of the product, whether it's in terms of the culture, uh, that really differentiates itself and makes your conversation easier as a key account manager uh, with your clients? Where Solaris Bank differentiates is on the breadth of the scope in which we operate. We offer much more product lines that, that our competitors, and we will also get broader geographical presence than our competitors. I, I'm, I'm sure that there are competitors who are experts in their verticals. No, no questions about that. Since Solaris Bank provides services from many different verticals, we can be the one-stop shop uh, for our partners. And it's a great selling line because we tell them, hey, you can start small. It's fine if you if you want to offer only accounts at cards at the beginning, but if you plan to grow, then, then you will always be able to add new products with Solaris Bank because there is, there is a big portfolio of what we have to offer. If, if we'd like to enter in other countries, we are in these countries. So this will, this is going to be very easy for you. This is this is the value proposition that we offer on the market. A little bit more on the personal side of things, uh, in your experience and itself, you did highlight how you came in more from a consulting background. Obviously you did your MBA at ESA. Um, I think one of the things that stands out just because what you've done versus what you're doing now, it's a bit different. And, and that's one of the right. things that a lot of the students coming into MBA, they're always looking for other opportunities. I think what would be interesting to start off really is to understand what was it really about your consulting experience uh, prior to the MBA and how that, what kind of skill sets really helped you migrate over into the role as far as the, you know, the core banking transfer was concerned, that particular role, and now the key account manager. I would say there are, I, I was actually able to leverage quite some experiences from before the MBA and, and some from the MBA as well. Uh, I would say generally companies at the, at the at this stage as Solaris Bank are probably looking more for applicants who already already have the knowledge, have the expertise on which they can build on. Uh, I'm sure the moment will come when we just hire generalists like, like the e-commerce companies who, who have the potential, as we, as we say it in the MBA. But Solaris Bank is, I think, right now more looking into, into, into people who are already quite familiar with the field. And my selling points were I worked two years as a consultant to the banking sector. So I already had some idea about the products, about the regulation, which is a critical part even in a fintech company. I worked on a project basis, so I was familiar with the methodologies and could, st could start as a project manager at Solaris Bank. As a consultant, I always work with a B2B client because, because that's what consultants do, uh, which was an enabler for me to take the key account manager role. So I would say there were a couple of traits 
And, and may, maybe if I were to add one from the MBA, I think the critical one was the international exposure. Solaris Bank is a little bit like his MBA. When I joined, we were 350 people from 60 countries. So quite, quite similar to the setup that we have in the MBA. Uh, so it was also quite easy for me, uh, for me to adapt. And, and, and basically the, this, this mix was also confirmed when, when I was interviewing. Uh, once I highlighted it, uh, then, then, I, then I think for my, for my hiring manager, it was also quite easy to say, okay, Chris is ticking all these boxes. Maybe he doesn't know how to work in a, in a startup, but, but that's something that, that he can learn on the job. I couldn't agree more with you on the international exposure at ESA and, and just be having that opportunity to talk to people from all across the world. So thank you so much for that. Uh, going uh, into mm -hmm. your current role, which is your key account manager, and, 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 and you said Vivid Money is, is the a client that you're working with. Could you possibly uh, highlight what your sort of day-to-day -day responsibilities look like? Maybe the overall strategic aspect as well also from a long-term perspective um, would be fascinating to hear. In the long-term perspective, what I do as a key account manager is that first I need to generate sales uh, for Solaris Bank, uh, which we do in a consultative way uh, with our partners, work on identifying problems and designing solutions. Secondly, I maintain relationships, which means meeting people, uh, organizing steering committees, and making sure that, that I take up any feedback that, that Vivid Money has towards Solaris Bank. Thirdly, which I think is related to the previous ones, I, I also manage the NPS score, meaning when there is feedback, I, I need to make sure that I already, I also find ways that Solaris Bank can address this feedback. And fourthly, which, which was quite a surprise to me and I discovered it on the job, is making sure that our partner, David Money, remains compliant. And this is about 20% of my job. And, and let me explain why. In the business model of Solaris Bank, Solaris Bank is the bank who ultimately provides the banking services to the end user. And we outsource these activities to our partners. So Vivid Money, in, in the, according to the business logic, they are our client, but in, in the legal framework, we are outsourcing to them, which means that since Solaris Bank is responsible for anything that Vivid Money does in the marketplace, we must make sure that that uh, that the processes uh, are clearly defined, and then that Vivid also observes them whenever there is a, a regulatory update that they, they are also following it, and whenever there is there's an inquiry inquiry from Bafin, so from the German authorities, uh, that that we also collaborate together. So in short, ensuring growth, sales, and PS relationships and compliance. I suppose on a personal note, what uh, I guess for, for people listening in, what, what do you believe are, it really helps you be successful in this particular job, the characteristic, the qualities, um, and, and how you run your day-to-day -day, uh, operations? Um, what, what does it truly take to be a successful key account manager? It is something that we, we learn at TSA, um, meaning that we, we understand leadership as a service, meaning being in a position where you think about the others, what, what you can do for the others, or you listen to, to what, what others are saying. And in this particular case, it is the client or the end users of the client. And, and, 
I, I, I would say this is this is this is the first thing because it's it's so easy to get lost in the high number of tasks that are that there are every day. So this this is one thing. And second thing is the is the stakeholder management. Key account manager is someone who really works at the intersection of uh, the partner on the one side. Then there are my uh, my, my my bosses in the commercial team. Uh, then there are there are all the other stakeholders within Solaris Bank, compliance, product, tech guys, operations, and everybody has has tens of requests to me at the same time. Um, so I think prioritizing on the spot and then trying trying to to align all these all these different stakeholders that we that we go in the in the same direction. That is that is also quite key. And third, which is which is quite typical for for maintaining commercial a, a commercial role, speak to people, negotiate, maintain maintain you know your guts under under pressure, know what to say in difficult situations or. Or also know when to shut up. I think just listening to this and, and and having known you for a while now, I think I can see why sort of your previous experience and the consulting and like what you're doing now, how it fits into a large extent. And like those skill sets matter a lot in this particular, especially as you said, the stakeholder management, working with cross-functional teams absolutely makes sense. Uh, Chris, as we come towards the end, maybe... Uh, right. Before I ask my closing questions, uh, is there anything that you'd like to touch upon? Maybe just from a Solaris Spain perspective, anything that stands out that I potentially have missed, or just within your team itself? Um, yeah, there is one thing that I was quite surprised with when I joined Solaris Bank, and I think it might be useful for uh, for you and also for other listeners of the podcast. And this is the differentiation between banking as a service and open banking. And banking as a service is what Solaris Bank does, meaning we are in the background. We are the regulated entity and we enable other companies to incorporate banking products into their offering. While open banking means nothing more and nothing less that the banks now must uh, share the data about the customers, about uh, their transactions, about payments, about accounts uh, with other banks or, or other licensed entities. I, th I think I think this is when, when you think about it. The, these are quite uh, quite far con concepts. Of course, they they come towards the vision of the ecosystem being more democratic. Uh, however, there is there is also a fine line uh, between them. I think I myself, when I was first learning about the industry, I think that was sort of a contentious thing to figure out. Like, how does the bass players fit into open banking and what is the differentiating factors but as you've highlighted during the whole conversation i think just the sort of the within the ecosystem and how many different products that solaris bank offers um, that says a lot um, in terms of how different the industries are um so coming to the closing questions uh chris uh, I, I think first one just to start off something that i'd like to be ask people is what is sort of one trend potentially within the fintech industry whether it is um, in Germany, whether it's globally, that you're truly excited about. I'm I'm really excited how how the how we are going to combat the 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 fraud in the mobile banking world, and we have been experiencing it it or, or listening about it so much in the media in the in the recent months. I think N26 has made the highlights. Uh, but this, this is I. I think they made the highlights because they are the biggest ones, and they they started first. Nonetheless, it is a not a company specific uh, thing. It is an industry specific. How do we make sure that we 
are, are confident about the identity and the users that we onboard in the platform, while we still want to open an account for them in, in just five minutes? That's, that's the key question. And then, and then how do we monitor transactions that they happen in real time that the legitimate users can still transact, but we, what we, but we uh, fight the bad actors at the same time? It is a, a super valid question. And uh, for Solaris Bank, it becomes even more fascinating as we enter new countries. And there are different patterns, or diff there's different regulation in, in each of the country. Figuring this out will be, will be a big thing. Personally, haven't paid much attention to, but I think makes so much sense um, as you've highlighted. And coming to the last question, um, I think I, I, I personally like this question and just hearing answers around it, but it's basically um, an instance or a situation that stands out for you uh, in your life where someone has basically taken a chance or invested in you. Uh, it, it has happened all over. And this is something that I think this is, this is like without it, it is probably impossible to progress in your career. I maybe the recent example is from Solaris Bank, where Marcel, my, my boss, who is the head of key account management, said, Okay, Chris, you have the right skills, right experience, but you have never worked in a fintech before. You have never worked in a startup before, but I trust that what you know is enough and you are flexible enough uh, that we can hire you and that you can make a career switch and work here. So that's I I, th I think that's pro that's probably the biggest biggest risk that someone can can take on you, hire you, knowing that you probably tick only half of the boxes. So heartwarming to hear that. So and I think it's fascinating that now we get to have you and hear your experiences um, on the other side of the table, uh, being MBA students. But uh, Chris, I really appreciate you taking this time out uh, out of your busy day uh, and being on the ESA FinTech podcast. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day and I look forward to seeing your journey at Solaris Bank. Thank you. Absolutely, Sid. It has been a pleasure. If there's something I could do for you or for the members of the ESA FinTech Club, I'm always available. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more content like this by subscribing to the ESA FinTech Club page on LinkedIn and Instagram. If you have any questions or suggestions, please leave a comment or message us. Thank you for joining.